the current impact of women-owned businesses on the economy is really impressive, and it's something that we don't talk about. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. Hi, this is Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, and I am very excited to be here today with Gwen Piccolo. She is the director for the Center of Women in Enterprise here in Vermont. She also has a long history of uh, being in business, and so she really knows about entrepreneurship on a personal level as well as a professional level. And Gwen and I ran into each other or uh, at an event that was sponsored by Michael Thompson, who was somebody who has been on the podcast before. His firm is Copperleaf Financial, and they were nice enough to invite me in to do a talk on my favorite topic, women, money, and power. And so Gwen and I got talking afterwards, and the rest is history. So welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much. This is really cool. It's a great opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, we got a chance to talk, and we certainly hit it off and have a lot in common, me being uh, an entrepreneur for over 20 years, Mm -hmm. you specializing in helping entrepreneurs, and certainly having been in business as well. And so why don't you tell the listeners what your myth is and what motivated you to pick it? So today, I'd like to talk about uh, the myth that all women businesses are leisure businesses or lifestyle businesses. So this it's this whole idea that women-owned businesses uh, can't be the primary source of income, that they're in industries that aren't that don't lend themselves to growing, um, or uh, of course, and, and of course, that the end game of this business wouldn't be to be bought out or or merged or something like that. And I think this is important to discuss because um, this is the equivalent of the pay gap in employment. So this this myth comes out of this idea that women can't be the primary breadwinner and that they won't be paid the same um, in the the workforce. They're just not as serious as providers. Exactly. Right. Okay. And I think it's important for both the uh, service, the people who are servicing women-owned businesses, right, financial advisors, accountants, so on and so forth, to, to realize that women-owned businesses have growth potential. First of all, I get emotional about this myth, and not mm-hmm. every money myth that we bust wide open I get emotional mm-hmm. about, obviously, being a female entrepreneur and the whole idea that somehow, oh, you know, it's this – lifestyle business, basically, for people who don't understand, is kind of like saying it's a hobby. Like, mm-hmm. oh, she's just doing that to keep herself busy now that the kids have left the home <laughs> or something. Right. It, it's somewhat insulting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have been in business yourself. You've worked mm-hmm. with lots of entrepreneurs. And you probably know the statistics. So so what are the facts? Like, what's real? If it's not just women are starting lifestyle businesses, What's the reality? Well, I think first and foremost, talking about the impact of women-owned businesses, the current impact of women-owned businesses on the economy is really impressive, and it's something that we don't talk about. 
it's, you know, people are increasingly doing research to, to look at this. But, you know, women-owned businesses tend to put way more, like 90% of their earnings back into the local community. So women-owned businesses are really good for local community economic development. Beyond that, um, many women-owned firms end up being not only the primary source of income for the family, but end up holding on to employees for longer. Um, they uh, they build longer-term employment relationships. They pay. They tend to pay above minimum wage. So when we look at, you know, just a broad story of the economic power of women-owned businesses, it's, it's important to, to be talking about this myth. So I'm curious, why is it that women put more into the local economy or treat their employees or pay their employees better? I mean, I don't want to mail bash, mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. just curious to me. Why is that? Yeah. And, you know, of course, I'm employed um, in gender specific <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to draw a lot of broad strokes here. But women typically are much better at relationships. They have complex thinking. Uh, and so that lends really nicely to building an entrepreneur entrepreneurial venture, to building a lifestyle that is based around relationships and business. And so um, that's really what entrepreneurship is, is relationships. Women tend to be, uh, have a higher relational intelligence. So that means they tend to be better at relationships, which is really the core of entrepreneurship and small business development. It's all about relationships. And so, um, so women tend to hire people from their immediate surroundings, their network. And they tend to hold on to those employees longer now, sometimes to the detriment of the business. business. Uh, But in reality, you know, um, holding on to employees for longer, they're they're able to build these relationships. And so they know, you know, if uh, why don't we find a position for Veronica because she's got the kids and so on and so forth. So if we're able to provide a lifestyle um, for uh, support the lifestyle of an employee, they can also um, uh, be building out a community of, of employees that way. And the other thing that's interesting to me is women tend to, on average, be more collaborative leaders. Mm-hmm. And that can be perceived in the male business world as not really mm-hmm. doing it the way you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about this myth and I think about the idea that somehow we're all just running around and this is our <laughs> lifestyle business, which, by the way, I believe if you want a lifestyle business, there's nothing wrong That's with great. that. That's great. Yeah. But does that myth originate from the idea that it's just different than what men typically do or historically what an entrepreneur would typically do? Um, I don't know if you know where this originated, but it just seems hmm. to – it's so pervasive. It really is. You know – that's a good question. I don't know where the myth originated other than, you know, where do all of the women-specific myths originate, you know, is through, you know, unfortunately, a uh, uh, history of women not having economic power. So in the male business world, which is still pre- predominantly male, this is a myth that is perpetuated. And I'm wondering – how does it hurt the women that you work with at the Center for Women in Enterprise and women in general who really are interested in running a business but maybe don't want to be thought of as, you know, isn't that nice or being placated that they're running this cute little business when, in fact, maybe they're really serious about what they want to do? Absolutely. So that's a huge question and it's so important. I think it really comes down to there's not enough 
there's this fear. There's not enough. There's not enough customers who are going to want my product. There's not enough money to fund my business to start it. Um, I'm not going to be able to charge enough. I don't have enough time to put into this. And those serve as really good excuses for not pursuing something that's really scary, which is a business, bringing our passion to light. And what we see with our clients and what I have experience with, too, the the harm of that is that – you know, women tend to get less money uh, from both in the investment world and in the uh, debt world from banks and things True. like that. Now, there's a reason for that. In it was only like 20 years ago and before that that women had to get a male cosigner to get a loan. I mean, it's amazing. So the, <laughs> there's a, a good origin for this this myth there. When women don't look at that uh, at, at seeking outside investments as an option, they then don't go for the money and then there's this you know self fulfilling self fulfilling prophecy exactly yes so it's interesting because when i started my business i remember i never even thought i should go to a bank to get a loan and i'm a former mm-hmm. banker yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, instead i had uh, approached a family member regarding an investment to get my website up and going and since then have uh, funded my business myself. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, the way in which my business is structured is a little bit differently different than some of the businesses that you work with, mm-hmm. uh, who are looking to leverage and sell and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. And you know, being a speaker and a consultant, that's a little bit of a different ball game. Mm-hmm. So, I can see how people do that. But but speak to how you prepare women who come to the Center for Women of Enterprise to help them approach banks or think about their business and think about leveraging Mm -hmm. uh, and being able to think big, even if they decide to do smaller, at least think big in the beginning. Absolutely. And that's most of what we do is, no, 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 you can do this and you're not charging enough. So that's (laughs) kind of the bare min. And so we always start the conversation with uh, two questions that a mentor of mine asked me when I was starting my business. And he asked me, what do you need this business to do for you qualitatively and quantitatively? What what do you need the business to be bringing in income-wise? Do you need it to be your whole household income? Or do you need it to just fund a really cool trip to Puerto Rico or your health insurance for your family? And so getting really clear about how much do you need out of the business financially is a core issue. Then we're looking at time, you know, and how much time do you actually want to be spending on your business and triple it? And that's what you're actually going to spend, as you well know. (laughs) Uh, But really, how much time do you do you want to be spending on the business? And that kind of comes to the lifestyle business. And you made a really good point. If you want this to be a lifestyle business, that is awesome. As long as you are going in knowing that that's what you want, not what you think it can be. Right. We get a lot of clients who are like, I don't think, you know, I sell at one craft show a year and, you know, I don't think I could get So strategically choosing as opposed to it's the default of, oh, you know, it's not going to really take off. So I'll just keep keep it small as opposed to really thinking through what what's the end? Mm -hmm. What do I want it to look like? What is it going to take now to make it look that way? And Mm -hmm. then it sounds like making a very informed choice around do I want to spend my time that way. Mm -hmm. And I know in working with women in the work that I do in the financial industry, women tend to view risk differently, Mm -hmm. that they tend to think about it in terms of not just financial return and investment, but how is this going to impact myself, my family, Mm -hmm. the people around me, my community. Mm -hmm. And so I could see that as both a blessing and sometimes a roadblock. Absolutely. And that's where the myth really comes in. You know, a lot of us have it inherently 
as well. We don't charge enough. We uh, take clients on that we might not want to work with, doing stuff we might not want to do because we kind of think, oh, well, it's coming my way. I guess I have to take it. Uh, and so that busting that myth that um, there's not enough and that um, this isn't something that could grow into a scalable, sellable, mergeable business venture um, is really important. So it's curious. You've mentioned not getting paid enough or asking enough from clients if mm-hmm. you're in a service business. And you mentioned that at least twice. Mm-hmm. So that seems like something that is definitely a theme for women-owned businesses. Do you think it's a theme throughout the business mm. cycle? Or do you feel like it's something that women entrepreneurs go through and then kind of push through it? And you can answer either as the director yeah. of the center <laughs> or as someone who's probably you know had to deal with that yourself. Certainly. It's a good question. So I think that you know, the, there's this phrase, the market will tell you if your prices are too high. They certainly won't tell you if your prices are too low. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, so since that's the case, um, you know, I, I think that it's something that particularly applies to women-owned firms as consultants and as product-based entrepreneurs because it comes back to, I don't think, I don't know if anybody would X, Y, Z. And so in my own uh, business, I had an art business representation and a business consulting practice. And I started the uh, practice as a side gig. I didn't think I needed it to do anything more than fund a cool trip every year. And then some things changed and I needed it to do everything for me. And I really, that was, that was a a scary moment um, in, in looking at, do I have to take insecurity work, right? Do I have to just take whatever I can get and I know that I'm not going to get the price I I really need, but I don't think, you know, and being blocked by this myth that I'm not going to be able to get enough um, and that I'm not competitive enough because of whatever. Busting that myth was hard. And so having a network of advisors and mentors who were able to to really walk me through the process of, okay, find a price and stick with it. And the way that you find a price is not looking at your costs, but looking at your value to the, the customer. So getting to know your customer really well. And then at the same time, once you're get, getting to know your customer, you're starting to really understand the the whole landscape. Who are the competitors um, and what are they charging? So pricing is an art and a science, and I don't think it's ever nailed down. I think the um, the, the important thing is, is making sure that you're consistent. Um, a lot of people feel like they want to offer, for example, nonprofit rates or they change their prices every – infrequently or um, – Uh, kind of arbitrarily. And so making sure that you have a communication plan with your clients and with yourself around, I, if you at any point in your business are like, I am not getting paid enough to do this, you're probably doing, there's something that you can do. You're leaving money on the table. Exactly. And, And you know, it's interesting because you, you know, I know for myself, I went through it at the beginning and there's different levels, levels of going through, you know, am I at the right price point? If I'm at this price point, what does that mean in terms of who I serve, who I don't serve, Mm -hmm. which is also can be challenging. Um, But I know that a network of women and men who can help you look at your business and be strategic, address some of these myths that we're talking about, and really look at 
where you want to go makes a huge difference. And I do think that that's something that women excel at is mm. surrounding ourselves with a team that can cheer us on. But you also have to be careful that you don't surround yourself with a group of under earners. Oh, they can be absolutely so lovely yeah. people. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want to be an under earner, then you need to be getting messages about your value and that it's okay if you choose to ask for more. Absolutely. I think the under-earner, under-employed thing is a real issue for women. Um, I know that that was something that this myth directly impacted me throughout my career was it helped me to kind of make an excuse. Oh, I would n- I, I'm not going to be able to make this into a, a full, um, you know, household income earner venture. So I would take jobs to supplement my passion, which was my business, f- you know, the freelancing stuff. And I, w- I was an under earner for a long time. Well, also, if you take jobs to uh, supplement, mm-hmm. then you're never going to get your business to where it needs to be. So there is that leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I have made that leap of faith a couple of times in a, a couple of different businesses, and it, it it gets a little bit easier each time because I always feel like, well, if I have to, mm-hmm. I'll go yeah. <laughs> get a job. Yeah. You know, not that I don't have a job, but I will work for someone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And if you are strategic and focus and get support, like the support that the Center for Women and Enterprise mm-hmm. offers, I do think it can make a really big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us what's the fact. So we just said that women-owned businesses or lifestyle businesses is a myth. Mm-hmm. So what would be the reality or what would be the fact if you had to change that statement? I think the fact is that women are uh, women-owned businesses are a core part of our economy, and they are kind of the foundation of most local economic um, structures if and certainly on a, a national scale. So there's real power in women-owned businesses. They're exporting. Um, there's a national network um, of uh, certified women-owned businesses uh, called um, the Women Business Enterprise National Council. And these businesses are Huge. Huge. They're powerhouses. And so, you know, for for people who are um, thinking about or are growing their business, you know, um, we get a lot of clients who say, uh, I'm bad at math, right? I'm bad at math, so I'm going to be bad at my business financials. And it's great if you're bad at math because it has nothing to do with your business financials. <laughs> your business financials are um, are really telling the story of your business. And women tend to be good storytellers as well, you know, and, and so um, getting help from a community of, of uh, mentors and friends and people like the Women's Business Center Network, every state is funded for one. We don't just help women, we help everybody. And so, you know, getting some help understanding how to make decisions in your business by looking at what the money is doing, the patterns of money in your business are doing that helps you to build a stronger business that really answers to your own passions, the only reason, the reasons why you started the business as opposed to what you think the business can do um, just based on your own fears. Well, and what you're talking about is breaking money silence, right? Mm-hmm. Which obviously, because it's the name of the podcast, <laughs> yeah. I really believe in. Uh, if somebody's listening in and they they are considering starting a business or they have started a business and really identify with some of what we've been saying today around limiting beliefs, Mm. what's one or two steps that they can take to move in the right direction? Mm. I, I would encourage them to answer, what do you need 
the business to do for you qualitatively and quantitatively? How much money does the business need to be bringing into you and by when? Um, how much time do you want to spend on it and by when? So benchmarking it is so important. Uh, and then really looking at what do you need? The Why are you starting or expanding this business to begin with? Do you need intellectual stimulation? Do you need is profit motive your primary concern? Do you need um, to build a network? Um, do you need to be able to travel? Whatever the case may be, what do you want your life to look like with the business in it rather than building your life around the business? So that would be probably the first and foremost, no matter where you are in the business development process, revisiting that those two questions is really, really important. And then I think moving through busting this myth is um, twofold. So if you're not a business owner and you are helping business owners, for example, as accountants or whatever advisors, you might start really looking at where are the women businesses in my community? I can guarantee there are women-owned businesses that are probably very quiet in your community that are exporting, that are really doing national international business that you didn't know about. So so that's important. And then um, to break it for, for ourselves, really tracking this experience of I, I've always been okay. You talked about how you've made this leap of faith a number of times and you're like, well, I guess I could always get a job. It's the same thing in this case, it's I've 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 made these leaps of faith in the past, and I've always been relatively okay. There might have been like total devastation, but you've made it out of well, that devastation. So much. Yes. I mean, the thing about being an entrepreneur, I think it's a lifelong learning process. Mm-hmm. And if you love to learn, and if you are able to celebrate, and also sometimes feel a little uncomfortable mm-hmm. and learn that way, <laughs> uh, it certainly is something that gives back. Um, so I have so appreciated you coming in today and being in the studio and participating in the podcast. And I want our listeners to be able to find out more about your work if they live in Vermont and mm-hmm. certainly if there's any other um, connections that they might have, because you mentioned that there's centers in other mm-hmm. states as well. Sure. Thank you. Um, so the Center for Women in Enterprise has five offices across New England, and we house the women's business centers for those states. So if you're in Vermont, you can go to, well, if you're in Vermont, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, or uh, New Hampshire, you can go to CWE, for Center for Women in Enterprise, CWEonline.org, and find out more about the services that are available to, to you. Um, there's also, uh, we have a road robust online learning community there as well. So if you're not located in New England, still come and check us out. And then every state is funded for a women's business center, a small business development center, and a SCORE chapter, which stands for the uh, used to stand for the Service Corps of Retired Executives. And so if you go to sba.gov, for smallbusinessadministration.gov, um, you can find the locations of those, uh, those offices and get support. So you don't have to do any bit of your business development alone, for sure. Great. Well, we'll put up those links uh, when we uh, put up the podcast. And again, Gwen, it's been great to get to know you a little bit better and to bust this myth wide open. So thanks for breaking money silence with me. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app 
and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information, or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com. Thank you.